Welcome to Canucks Corner, a podcast in which I, Aaron Lane, give you the skinny on what the Canucks have done recently, how they fared in a recent game, and what's next for the team in the week to come. The pregame show. This is a part of the podcast in which I tell you what the Canucks have been up to since our last podcast, how they sit in the standings, and any news or information I think you need to know. Now, let's begin with how the Canucks have done since we last podcast, which has been a little while, but let's take a look. Now, the Canucks had three games to look at since the last podcast. The first was against Nashville at home on uh, Tuesday, January 17th, and lo and behold, we uh, kept that game really tight, just as I said. It turns out that all it took was a third-period goal by Henrik, assisted by Spiza and Erickson, to give the Canucks a one nothing win. Now, there ain't nothing wrong with that. That's a nice, tight defensive game, as everyone sort of expected. So, quite happy with that specific result, especially since I figured that was probably going to be the result. <laughs> anyway, then we have Panthers visiting the Canucks. That will be our feature game. So we'll take a look at that game in detail shortly. Finally, on Sunday, January 22nd, the Canucks went to Chicago to face the mighty Blackhawks. And yeah, it was almost a big surprise because we have a situation which, in the first period, Panic and Kane opened the scoring. Panic first, obviously, opened the scoring, then Kane follow up. And it was like, okay, here we go again. Here's a, you know, 2 nothing already in the by the end of the first period. This isn't going to be a very nice game. But the Canucks battled hard in the second period and just kept things even and came out of the second period 2 nothing. So going into the third period, it was like, okay, well, maybe the Canucks will score one and Chicago will get that empty net goal. And it'll be 3-1. to one. And sure enough, on a power play, Troy Stetcher stops the puck at the, at the line uh, by sliding, if I'm not mistaken, gets up and shoots. He goes ahead and, yeah, Troy Stetcher's been up to stuff lately. But <laughs> Troy Stetcher goes ahead and takes a shot from the point on the power play and scores uh, to make it 2-1. to one. Sedin and uh, Sutter get assists on that. And I think that was Henrik. And then, surprisingly, uh, Bo Horvat ends up scoring a minute later, which is less than a minute, actually, which was uh, pretty awesome. And so that turned out just fine. Then Bo Horvat coming in with Sven Barchi. Sven was carrying the puck. He got knocked down, took a defenseman out with him. Bo picks up the puck almost by the goal line, almost in the corner, and then pushes hard to get out in front of the net. Crawford kind of backs up in surprise, it seems, as Horvat's right on top of him. Horvat takes a shot. Crawford saves it. But Horvat then gets the rebound immediately, shifts it further to his right, because he was coming from the left side. And he shifts further to the right, passes it to himself, a little bit of a deke right in front of the net. And suddenly he's got the puck now in front of an open net. And all Crawford can do is just kind of throw his glove out there and hope for the best. And Horvat scores into basically an empty net. To tie it 2-2. Yes, there's less than 15 minutes left in the game. And it's 2-2. And I'm getting excited because (laughs) I did not see that coming and... I, I know I can tell my son about how Bo Horvat scored to tie the game, and then maybe we, then maybe we win in overtime and the whole thing, and it's all the excitement. <sighs> Unfortunately, <laughs> as you all well know by now, I imagine Jonathan Taves goes ahead and ruins our day. Panic, as I like to call him, I guess 
it might be Panique or something like that. He comes in on the right-hand side with Edler, I believe, in front of him, takes a slap shot that goes off of Edler's stick, almost imperceptibly, and bounces off the backboards right behind the net, comes out in like a perfect V, sort of straight to the boards and then straight back out on the other side, the opposite side, where who should be sitting there? You know, some random guy? Some some random Blackhawk? No, it's Jonathan Taves, one of the two guys that you wouldn't want to have the puck at that very moment. And Miller's out of position at that point because he's facing the shot coming off the right side. Last thing he expects is it to bounce straight out to the left side to Taves. But he tries to dive over and stop it, but Taves is too good of a shot and he gets it into the empty net. <sighs> oh well, that's how things go. And then we struggle to re- respond from that because, I mean, that's at 1842 of the third. Marion Hosa goes ahead and Marion Hosa scores from Taves to give Taves like a goal and three assists for the night. Uh, he's so good. It's so bad. <laughs> Anyways, so there you go. That's the, uh, that's how the night turns out. It's 4-2 for Chicago. And well, as I said, I wasn't expecting anything in Chicago. We almost got some points out of there. So I was just excited that we were in that hunt for some points in a situation where we really didn't have a right to be in the hunt for points. And that was the week as it was. And now it's time to take a look at the standing. Where do the Canucks sit now that they've played all of these games, all these 48 games so far? Alrighty, well, when we go back to the top, there's Minnesota, there's Chicago, and there's Nashville from the Central. From the Pacific, there's San Jose, there's Anaheim, and Edmonton. And we're looking at Nashville with 54 points being the lowest of those of those six. So then we have the wild card with St. Louis at 53 and Calgary at 51. Now that's that's pretty tight. But then with Calgary at 51, guess who's right behind? Yes, you guessed it, the Los Angeles Kings. <laughs> okay, Los Angeles at 50 and Vancouver at 50. So we're just a point behind the Flames along with Los Angeles, so it's a real it's a real tight match, you know, a tight situation. Calgary's got two points behind St. Louis. We've got a point with Los Angeles behind Calgary. St. Louis has a point behind Nashville. It's all starting to get nice and tight. And behind us, actually, Dallas with 48. So, yeah, them standings, actually, Dallas and Winnipeg at 48. So don't go counting any chickens now. But it's getting interesting. So that's the standings as as we look. Hey, let's let's just just for giggles have a look at let's have a look at league standings. Let's just take a quick look here. We have Washington on top with 70. Columbus with 68. Whoever thought not too long ago. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Okay. Columbus at 68 and Minnesota at 67. <laughs> Yeah, no joke. Just a couple of years ago, who would have thought that would be the top three halfway through the season? Washington, Columbus, Minnesota. Wow. Um, Then we have Pittsburgh, Montreal, and Chicago all tied at 65. Those teams often do quite well. I mean, actually, I think Montreal last year didn't do well, but at least Columbus and Minnesota. (laughs) Anyway, so there you go. Just a little bit of a a heads up on the type of things that's going on, you know, in the league overall. Oh, um, huge surprise at the bottom of the league, near the bottom. 26th right now is Detroit. Or I guess maybe tied for 21st 
There's a log jam at 49 points there, but Detroit is at the bottom of that group. It's been, oh geez, I don't know, a long time since I've seen Detroit flirt with the bottom of the of the table. Maybe I just haven't been paying that much attention, but it seems to me pretty much since the 90s, they've been at or near the top of their division at least. Yeah, we'd have to go all the way back to the old school Norris division, I think, in the late 80s before we ran into the sad, the sad Detroit Red Wings. So I think it's been a while since they felt that sort of the sting of the of the tough seasons. But uh, But everyone does every once in a while, so there you go. We'll see how they rebound from these difficult situations all right but anyway onwards to some interesting news this this week now as it happens this was also the week in which the wait for henrik to hit 1000 points happened so we had that under consideration as we entered our feature game against the panthers he was one point away and it was a question of whether or not he'd get it then whether or not he'd get it shortly thereafter in chicago or at some point thereafter who knows so let's find out shall we what happened in our feature game game time this is the part of podcast in which i get to talk about a specific canucks game that was played recently in detail and give my thoughts and my figurines on how that game went so this game we have vancouver against florida and this was uh, a game that was how shall we say this game was played on friday january 20th and there was a lot of talk before this game for a couple of reasons one the panthers were in town so you had Roberto Luongo back in the same rink where he won the gold medal for Canada and had a bunch of good and not-so-great experiences with the Vancouver Canucks. And Henrik Sedin, who was just sitting on that 999 points, waiting to become the 85th, I think, player in NHL history to score 1,000 points, which I think is interesting because I guess nowadays you'd think, oh, well... It's not as hard to get points in today's NHL than, you know, than it used to be. But if you look at the different eras, when New Jersey, I guess in the 2000s or so, started playing that trap defense, that was considered to be like the dead puck era, where they went through a whole bunch of years there from about 2000, I think, to 2006 or so, I don't know, 2008, where scoring was down league-wide because everyone was playing this this tight defensive game with a lot of clutching and a lot of grabbing a lot of slowing down the game and then they opened up the game with the institution of some new rules and some tight more tightly called games where the obstruction rule came in and interference was called a lot more often and then all of a sudden you couldn't lay a stick or a hand on anybody without getting a penalty so first of all there's a whole bunch more power play goals and then there was uh, just quite a few more goals per game. And then things settled back after a couple of years, and it just reverted to kind of a midpoint between the two. There was quite a few goals in those years. There was hardly any goals in the years previous. And it kind of had that, we were kind of like in that Goldilocks era right now, where it's not too many, not too few, and it's just kind of just right right now. You take that further back into the early 90s and the, and the 80s, Whoa, lots of goals. The Gretzky era. Tons of times where you'd see games go 
eight to four and ten to three and just where between the two teams they'd put up double digits quite often a good you could still be a really good goaltender and have a goals against average of around four (laughs) which which now is unheard of but back in those days that's that was kind of just the game and then you go back to the 70s where the goal scoring was probably about the way it is now kind of a middle ground sort of situation you go further back of course then you get into those one nothing games two one games all the time when there was really a real dearth of scoring but uh anyway the point being is you look historically and Henrik hasn't exactly had the best years to score goals in and get points if he was around during the 1980s for example like a lot of those guys were that are in the top that have scored a thousand points yeah i mean maybe he would have already had 1500 points maybe would have had significantly more but there again if he played a lot more during that dead puck era maybe from the mid 90s onwards to 2005 or so if he played primarily then then he might not have even made a thousand points he might have only made you know 700 or something so yeah you kind of have to keep in mind what era the player predominantly was in when they were scoring their points and i think there's probably an adjustment that could be made for that with the statistics but i think henrik might end up on the upper end of things if you made that sort of adjustment anyway that was quite of a long talk about that didn't expect me to go off on that but let's get to the game now the first period started pretty slowly back and forth a bit face-offs looked good for the canucks they were winning a lot of draws which is good that meant Sutter was doing a fine job but um, then on a power play Sutter gets a good chance in front of the net there's some interference there on the blue line and he gets that that good chance but they get uh, outmanned on the boards and Florida basically outworks them a bit there and so the play the, the power play ultimately is not successful Trampkin gets a shot and even gets down into the corner to, to work hard in the corner. He's not afraid now to get out into different parts of the ice and follow the puck in and just take his chances at creating some offense. We also have this moment where Barchi kind of is, is working against Yager. And Yager, I mean, the poor kid, right? I mean, how, how many young players over the years have tried to contain Yager and the next thing you know, it's in your net? <laughs> Yager makes some play that you just have no idea how he made it and you have to wait to see the replays to see how he got burned but this play actually ends up with Miller making the save so Barty doesn't have to feel too badly about that both Sketcher and Megna had the flu uh, against Nashville and had lost something like seven or eight pounds as a result and of course that's that's basically fluid loss you know once you you have the flu and you're getting sick all the time you're basically just getting rid of all your excess fluids which is standard practice for your body in sick situations like that anyway that might have explained how they didn't play quite as well as they could have played in nashville and they're still coming off of that in this game so they weren't quite as on it as they usually are i suppose even though they are younger players late in this period erickson takes the body takes somebody out which is good and then sadin gets the puck passed to sadin to erickson but Luongo makes the save. And he's Erickson's right in front of that exactly where he should be. And I'm liking that. Because again, if you're going to be playing with the Sedines, you've got a, a couple of choices. You can be up against the boards, digging the puck out, getting it to them, so that ultimately you can go to Daniel and he can take a shot. Or you're the one in front of the net and the Sedines get it to you and you can Dixon ward it into the net. 
he was one of the one of the players for a little while. I think that started with the Sedins. And then we have Stetcher gets a shot from the point, a beautiful shot, forces Luongo to make a tough save. That's exactly what I was looking for, even though, again, it doesn't go in. The point is, is we're doing the right things there. And then, actually, it wasn't quite at the end of the period. Tramkin gets the puck at the point, at this point. I think this is like, what, 2.52 left in the period. And he takes a slap shot as Bo Horvat is skating behind the net. Luckily for Bo, he just kind of glances towards the front of the, the net just at the right time to realize... I think I got a duck. And he ducks just as the shot comes and hits him square in the back of the head. Now luckily he's got his he's got his helmet on, but the shot I don't know it either cracked his helmet or it hit him such that it pushed the bottom of his helmet, the back bottom, into his scalp and actually resulted in stitches, which yeah. So he dropped like a like you know, somebody's been shot, which, you know, he kind of was. And you know it's trouble when dude falls to the ice and the opposing player waves to the bench to get help. And this is what happens. So, yeah. So once again, we're reminded, Tramkin, the Russian train, you don't want to get in front of him when he's on the track because he will squish you. (laughs) He will crush you. He will crush you. Oh, so good. Anyway, maybe Russian train. I don't know if that, if that, does that work? The T train, maybe? Yeah, how about that? The T train. T train takes a slap shot. Hits Bo Horvat right in the back of the head. How about that? (laughs) But it was at this point that I was like, this guy has a shot that could be as heavy as like Chara's shot or Al McInnes from back in the day. I'm thinking, wow, a big tall, powerful guy with a heavy slap shot from the point. This might be a guy where we can just load up on the power play and let him fly. That that was just really impressive. Anywho, later on after they peel Horvat <laughs> off the ice, it, it, I, can, I can laugh because he turned out okay. Everything was fine. Yeah, so Menga gets the puck, gets it to Sutter, to Granlund, and again forces Luongo to make a really good save. So that was a good try. Spiza gets a shot from the from the point. Again, just like earlier when I said uh, Stetcher got a shot. It's good. They're taking their point shots just like I'm asking. Stetcher blocks a shot and it hurt. Obviously, he was okay. Daniel and Henrik, I could tell at this point, late in the first period, there was a couple of plays they made where they were trying a bit too hard to get Henrik that, that point. They were being a little bit even fancier than they normally are and losing the puck as a result because they make that extra, extra, extra pass. So no goals at the end of the first period for either team. So let's see what happens in the second. We have Stetcher at the beginning of the second going ahead and like straight up blocking passes to intercept the puck. He's he's all over the ice in this game and just, I don't know, maybe he should play sick all the time. I don't know. <laughs> But he seems to be doing a really good job. Burr, good old Burrows, gives a quick grab of somebody's stick at some point and gets a penalty for that. <sighs> it's, um, you know what? That was almost the exact type of penalty that, that you'd get back in the obstruction days where literally your hand was on the guy's stick. It didn't actually result in any sort of... It didn't result 
in him stopping him from making a play. It didn't change what was happening at all. It was just, it was clear Burroughs had his hand on the guy's stick at some point, and the guy was heading towards the puck. So, hey, let's call a penalty on Burroughs, I guess. So there it is. And then Miller ends up making a save off of Yager just before the penalty's called, and that is good, but also kind of is a bit of foreshadowing for the power play. Because sure enough, on the Panthers' power play, McCann gets the puck around the back of the net, does one of those things where he just sneaks it around really quick to the other side of the net, behind the net, and it goes right to Yager, who's in kind of a bad position, but it doesn't matter. It's Yager. He's two feet from the net. He's going to score. And he does. He just roofs it, and that's the end of that. And that's even before Miller has a chance to even look back to see what is happening on the other side of the net, realizing that McCann didn't come out from the left side, that it was shifted to the right. Anyway, Yager scores. Marchesso. He, (laughs) that Florida Panther, got the second assist on that goal. A little bit later, after the the goal, Biega hits McKenzie into the post, pushing the net off in a critical time when Florida was pushing for that second goal. And had they scored that second goal, maybe this game would have been completely different. But Biega makes a big play there. Tanev takes a shot. Burrows in front of the net makes the tip. This is the third time the Canucks have taken a shot from the point with some traffic in front and getting a good chance. So, hey, let's go ahead and appreciate that the Canucks are trying. Okay, here we go. Five minutes and 50 seconds into the second period, this happens. Edler gets the puck about at his blue line or so. The Canucks are breaking out. The Sedins are in front of him. And instead of passing close to... To Henrik on his side of the ice, on the left side of the ice, he passes to the right to Daniel. And so he goes all the way across ice, all the way from blue line to blue line. Daniel picks it up kind of a little bit with the puck rolling, or he doesn't quite have it completely. But then he makes, he just kind of moves it on his stick to the point where it looks like he's got a pretty good handle on it. And who is just busting into the middle of the ice in front of the net but Henrik? And as the Florida defensemen come up towards him. Daniel just slides it right on through, past them to Henrik right in front of the net, who makes just a nifty little back, well, backhand to forehand sort of move. And he, he could have roofed it, but instead he goes underneath the pad. And he scores the goal that gives him his 1,000th point. And it is, it's gorgeous. It was a gorgeous goal. It was a great point by all all three guys involved in the play. And... Henrik himself said later it couldn't have been better with his brother with the primary assist and Edler who he's he's played with and worked with a lot over the years and then he gets to the corner and the entire team comes off the bench and he said that was his favorite part that he got a chance to share this moment with all of his teammates that he he gives them the credit for his success He's, he's such a humble and awesome guy that it was just great to see him get this, you know, to, to get this milestone, to hit this, this number that is really a special number in the NHL. When you think about all the players that have ever played the game, anytime you're in the top 100 of something like this, it's, it's really special. Because, you know, everybody's going for points. Everyone's focusing on trying to, to get their goals and assists. So it's not like... 
the top 100 guys to hit the post or something. It's important. And even penalty minutes. Yeah, I mean, getting into the top 100 penalty minutes, that may be important for some people. But by and large, if you're going to be in the top 100 of anything, being in the top 100 of points is a pretty awesome deal. So there you go. Good on you, Henrik. Way to get her done. You deserve it. All right, that said, the game continues after a little bit of a break. Burroughs, after his slightly holding a guy and getting a penalty, or even, no, slightly holding the guy's stick and getting a penalty, he's actually just hauled down in the corner by a Florida Panther. No penalty. It's all good. The game's tied anyway. So why bother calling a penalty on Florida at this point, right? Right? Yeah, it's good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> anyway, Barchi gets a great chance in front of the net. A little bit later, Biega gets a good deflection in front of the net. So we're getting our chances. It's still nodded at one. But Jaeger. Jaeger's looking like he's well-rested and kind of ticked off. <laughs> and he's he's got the puck quite often on the stick. And he's, he's showing guys that he's still got the moves as an old man. Old man Jaeger. Anyway, Henrik ends up getting a hooking penalty. As a result of chasing down Jager. Horvat, as the penalty takes place and he's penalty killing, they get into that I formation again and he actually blocks a shot. Whether it was a shot or a pass, is kind of going cross ice and he blocks it and he's able to get the puck out quite easily and get a chance at almost getting a breakaway sort of thing. So maybe that's working for them. I guess it must be. And then Spiza gets another, well, gets a good chance after there's a bit of a, uh, a handling the puck fail. But in the end, Jaeger and his Panthers do not actually score a power play goal at that point. Yes. So the period continues. And then we have a too-many-men penalty. Ugh. These are the types of penalties that will kill you. When you've tied the game, when things are... And you've killed off a penalty and things are going okay, then it's either flicking the puck over the glass in your own zone or this too-many-many penalty where it's an automatic penalty, and it's, you know, it's bad. Anyway, they do the eye formation thing again, so I can tell this is definitely something they're trying. Burroughs makes a great block. Miller makes a really good save on a tip uh, by Jokinen, I think it was. Tramkin uh, hit a guy and cleared it out, and it looked like we had control, which was nice. So we killed that penalty off. Phew, because, yeah, if we had gotten scored on that one, that might it might have been over. Just before the end of the period, Trampkin gets a shot on, on net from the point with people in front. It actually hits a guy who has the nerve of kind of looking at Trampkin and saying, What'd you shoot for? I was sitting, standing right in front of you. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, guy's going to load up and take a take a shot. Look, man, if you're going to stand in front of him. So this is, again, this is kind of what reminds me of when Al McInnes used to shoot. Everybody knew when that puck went back to McInnes at the blue line, there wasn't anyone who didn't know what was going to happen. Everyone just went, okay, he's, he's going to shoot now. If I'm going to stand in front of that thing, I'm, I might get killed. <laughs> so, yeah, let's let's not do that. And then if you did, yeah, you took your life into your hands, you know, as it were. You knew that you could get hurt. And so Chara and McInnes and guys who have these really heavy shots... I think they, they score a few few goals just simply because guys are getting out of the way. <laughs> and the, the goaltender just gets beat on a really hard shot that nobody decided to block because they didn't want to get killed. 
So, wow, if we can have a guy like that, that would be fantastic. Anyway, that just gave me that kind of vision that maybe that might happen at some point. Burroughs also has a really good effort just before the end of the period in the Panthers' zone for checking, just throwing a lot of energy in there. And I really appreciate that near the end of the period where you could carry some of that momentum on into the third period, especially after two penalty kills. So we get to the third period. And the, the commentator's talking about whether or not the Canucks should retire Kirk McLean's number number one. Oh, oh, wait, sorry. No, not the goaltender who took us to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals in 94. No, it, it was Luongo that they want to retire the number of. And I, you know, I like Luongo probably better than the next guy. Because there was a lot of haters, especially near the end there. And... I don't know. What can I say? I he he was a great goaltender for the Vancouver Canucks. Our first, I think, our first goaltender where we knew he was one of the best goalies in the league coming in, and he could lead us to a Stanley Cup potentially. Guys like Kirk McLean and Richard Brodeur in our past, they were just guys that took us there anyway. <laughs> Even if they weren't one of the best goalies, considered to be one of the best goalies in the league. They just said, no, you know what? Forget it. This year, I'm just going to take you to the finals. And I'm going to play out of my mind. And I'm going to have I'm gonna have the best year I've ever had. And we're, we're going to give it a shot. Whereas with Luongo, we knew that that was a likelihood. And even then, I don't think you're going to find a lot of, a lot of people in Vancouver who, who are going to say, yeah, you know, yeah, he's, he's right up there with Patrick Waugh and Martin Brodeur. And these other players, these other goaltenders that have been retired for their teams. I just, I mean, not only that he's missing the Stanley Cup ring. I mean, obviously no Canuck has a Stanley Cup ring. So that, that isn't that isn't the de facto reason not to retire his number. But part of the reason is that if you retire number one for Luongo, you are dissing Kirk McLean. Who, again, though he wasn't like Luongo, was expected to be the you know, one of the best goalies in the league. He still is number one in our hearts because of what he did in 94. Him and Trevor and, you know, the rest of the players just put that team on their back and and went as far as they could with it. And I just, I don't know. I just don't get that same feeling with Luongo. And so to say, okay, we're going to pick Luongo and we're going to make his number retired. And by that fact, not Kirk McLean. So that, that kind of hurts. And then the, just the fact that, I don't know, it's just hard. Okay, I I better stop this before, <laughs> but I just, when you look at, at players that I can go, you know what, Dan Smeal was the Vancouver Canucks for, for so many years. Marcus Naslund was the Vancouver Canucks for so many years. So, you know, for the Vancouver Canucks to go ahead and raise their numbers to the rafters, that makes a certain amount of sense. Luongo, even though he was captain that one year, I just, I don't have the same feelings about him. And... I think a lot of Vancouver fans also don't have the same feelings about him. So, I don't know. He had good numbers. He had really good regular season numbers. He had a couple of situations in the playoffs that just sucked, that were just regrettable. That clearing the puck up the boards, it being intercepted and then fired into the empty net to knock us out of the playoffs. Was it against Minnesota, maybe? Or, I forget, but that was that was awful. Um, and then just the Stanley Cup Finals, where there was those... Against Boston, the whole team was was down, and and he gets completely destroyed in that one game. It was seven to three or something, 
Anyways, yeah, no, no, yeah, I'm gonna let it go, but my my vote's a no, because clearly I have a vote. <laughs> anyway, let's get to the third period, shall we? 3.07 into the third period, Spees is hanging out with the Sedines, and guess what? They get it over the blue line really well, and then get it to Spiza in front of the net, who kind of, he kind of draws the puck a little bit to the side, get it, getting a hold of it, I guess, or bringing it, calming it down, and then just fires it straight up into the top corner, and it was just, it was like a goal scorer's goal almost for a player who doesn't score a lot of goals. So fantastic. It, it comes up unassisted because when it came in front of the net, a couple of the Florida players were trying to get it out, and one of the Florida players just kind of chipped it, and it ended up on Spies' stick, and it which point he makes that little move and then puts in the net. So, unassisted, but the scenes were in on the overall play. And Spiza gets the goal. Whew, can we hold on? Well, Edler gets a shot a little bit later. Tipped by Burroughs. Doesn't go in. But this is our fourth shot from the point that we've done that with. So, I'm not going to say it anymore. I'm just going to say, the Canucks are starting to do the right thing, and they're starting to get the right results. Sutter, a little bit later, gets a great chance by being very patient in the slot. He just kind of moves it one way, kind of shifts a little, then takes a nice shot. It just showed that he has a little bit more moxie than some of the other players who might have fired it right away or chipped it towards the net. But he really took a moment to get a, to make an okay chance into a really good chance. And I think the better players will do that. Is they'll just, they'll know when they have that moment. And they'll take that moment. And often enough, they'll get the goal. And then when about 10 minutes left, Smith, uh, Florida Panther dude, gets this great chance on Miller. And Miller makes just a fantastic save. So that holds us together with about 10 minutes to go. Horvat, just in, right in front of, the, of, of Luongo, gets, gets, a, gets a great chance. But, well, he's just off to the side a bit. But takes an opportunity, Stetcher gets another shot. Then, like, so we're putting pressure on them, even though we're up 2-1, to one, which is a great, which is great news. Anytime the Canucks are up in the third period and they're still getting chances, that means the other team's in trouble. <laughs> Barchi pulls a Sedin. He pulls a Henrik, and he's basically Horvat makes this great play to get Barchi in all alone on the, goal, on the goalie. And then Horvat goes towards the net. Well, Barchi is like, oh, I could take this great shot or pass to Horvat. And if Horvat gets it, he'll get a goal for sure because he'll have an empty net. Well, Barchi, listen to Stetcher. <laughs> Just take the shot. But he doesn't. And he hasn't scored lately. And I think maybe that was bearing on him a little bit. And so he tries to pass it back to Horvat and it gets nowhere near him really as he goes like flying past the goal. And it just, it, it doesn't work out. It's just one of the things that young players have to have to learn. When to take the shot yourself, when to try to pass it to someone who's going to have a much better opportunity. But getting that puck to them in a spot where they can get that opportunity maybe just way too hard. So sometimes you just need to take the shot, hope that player, that other player, just hangs around the net. And even if the goalie saves it, maybe the puck pops out behind him. And then that player can just you know, hop on that puck and just put it in the empty net. So, yeah, I mean, Barchi should have taken the shot there. But there you go. They're creating offense, and that's really good to see. Anyway, with about four minutes left, the Panthers, (laughs) 
I have a note here that says, Panthers spend 30 seconds messing around in the neutral zone. <laughs> in other words, they're trying to create some offense with a nice breakout. And they just keep bobbling the puck and losing the puck and the Canucks mess them up. And I think at this point, the Canucks aren't even really messing them up too bad. It's just they're putting too much pressure. They're, they're holding their sticks a bit too tightly. And they're not making plays that are going to turn out very well. And so that makes it a bit easier for the Canucks where they've got where they've got 30 seconds that they don't have to worry about really defending. At this point, I note that Burroughs is just having a great game. He's going going ahead and doing what he needs to do. And again, I've criticized him. I have. But I'll give this game to him. He was doing everything he needed to do to, if not, if not score and get on the board, he was doing everything else. So blocking shots, working hard in the corners, taking the puck into the zone with energy, things like this, right? So... I'll give Burroughs a lot of credit here. And then the Florida Panthers pull Luongo, and Horvat gets a chance with the puck, and he fires it down as he's falling. And I don't know what went on there, whether or not he was he thought he had a clear shot at the net from his side of center and was just about to shoot it into the empty net, or whether or not as he was falling, he realized he had to clear the puck, and he just hit it too hard. But it wasn't a great play at that point to try to to try to hit the net as you were falling to the ice from your side of center. Just wasn't a great situation. But there you go. Something else to learn if you know if that was the problem. Then we have Sutter wins uh, the face-off and gets it straight to Burroughs, who is... Yeah, it was, it was a set play in the Florida zone where Sutter won the puck kind of forward, and the idea was Burroughs was going to get the puck off of the rebound and and shoot it into what would be an empty net at that point, I think. But Luongo was on top of it, and he was able to to make the save and get rid of the puck. Get rid of the puck so that there wasn't going to be any shenanigans of a, a third goal against him. But that one pretty much ran out the rest of the time, and we have a winner. The Vancouver Canucks win that game, win that game 2-1. to one. Henrik scores his 1,000th point against Luongo, Oh, a note there, after he scored and after everyone, after everyone came and gave him congratulations, he was skating past Luongo. Luongo, the class act that he is, even though I don't want to retire his number as a Vancouver Canuck, <laughs> Luongo went ahead and took his goal stick and tapped, tapped Henrik's pads and said, you know, good going, Henrik. And Henrik kind of leaned over towards Luongo and kind of rubbed his head. He was like, yeah, buddy. <laughs> so, it was pretty cute. So even though he got scored on, he, he still congratulated congratulated Henrik for scoring that goal. So there we go. That was the Canucks game. That, of course, gave them a win against the Panthers and a win against, oh, against the Panthers, a win against the uh, Predators, a win against the Panthers. So that was four points. So I was wrong. I was expecting three points for the week, and it was four. So, you know, sometimes I can be wrong, but that's okay. I was almost really wrong. The Canucks had won against against the Blackhawks. Yeah. Well, anyway. I don't mind being wrong like that. That's just fine. Anywho. Okay, that's it for the feature game. And now we're on to the the post-game show. This is the part of the podcast in which I take a look at the Canucks week to come and take a guess as to how many points they might score in that week. This week's going to be pretty easy. <laughs> All right. So this week we have 
once again, kind of like just a couple weeks ago, we have the Canucks playing the bottom two teams in the league. They're up against Colorado on Wednesday, January 25th. That's later today, actually. And then Thursday, January 26th. That would be tomorrow. So, Wednesday and Thursday, Colorado and... and Sorry, Arizona. (laughs) Anyway, uh, if we're ever going to sweep a series, if we're ever going to sweep a week, this would be the week. Because after that, then it's just the All-Star game. And I'm going to tell you this right now before I get to the All-Star game stuff. It's four points. We're gonna, I'm, I'm predicting a sweep. It might be a little bit close against Colorado, but then we'll come up against the Coyotes. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out and say it. I'm going to say we're going to win by three, three goals. It'll be 3 nothing or 4-1 to one or something like that. That's, that, that's what I'm... I'm going to go with that. I'm, just, just, I'm not going to explain it. I'm just going to go with it. It's coming into the All-Star break. I'm going to give it that one. That's my, that's my big prediction. Anyway, so four points of those two games. And then we got the All-Star weekend coming up on Friday. It's the NHL Top 100 that's going to be announced. We'll see whether or not Henrik makes it. Maybe he will. Now that he's like a top 100 scorer, there's a good chance perhaps that he uh, makes that list. Then on Saturday, January 28th, at 4 p.m. Pacific time. (laughs) Pacific time. That's the best time. Um, It's the All-Star Skills Competition. And that will, as usual, be maybe more fun than the actual game itself. (laughs) and then sunday it is in fact the all-star game january 29th in los angeles california so in the bright lights in the big city of los angeles they're going to go ahead and at the staples center make the all-star thing happen and again this is a new sort of way of handling things we've got the four the four different the four different divisions coming together to play three-on-three format, and then we'll see who the winner is. Now, this goes and show you how much I was paying attention last year, (laughs) which was hardly at all, uh, especially for the All-Star game. But apparently they did this last year in Nashville, and they separate the the league up into four, uh, four teams, Pacific, Central, Atlantic, and Metropolitan, made up of 11 players from each division, six forwards, three defensemen, and two goalies one captain per team and they play three 20 minute games so we shall see how that all plays out my prediction is that the pacific has a good chance Connor mcdavid it's captain but outside of Connor mcdavid there's probably not a whole lot of just like top huge star players and are you know the goaltenders i'm calling it are you know, being that Horvat's on the team, that Jones and Smith, solid goaltenders, but again, uh, I don't know, not the star-studded lineup that I'd expect. Okay, well, I'll, I'll go through the names. McDavid, Carter, Goudreau, Horvat, Kessler, Pavelski, Burns, uh, Doherty, Fowler, and then Jones and Smith. Yeah, see, just not quite, I mean, maybe it's going to be three on three, so maybe that's going to be Maybe better in some respects, but let's compare that to the central, where we've got Kane, Lane. <laughs> I'll keep I'll keep doing that. McKinnon, Sagan, uh, Tarasenko, Taves, Subban, Keith, 
Sutter, Crawford, and Dubinsky. I don't know. That's that's a pretty that's going to be a pretty tough lineup to beat. The Metro Metropolitans got Crosby, Hall, Malkin, Ovechkin. There's a pretty good four. Uh, Simmons, Tavares, Falk, Jones, McDougal, McDonald. Anyway, Rangers guy. And then with uh, Bobrovsky and Holtby as their goaltenders. Very strong offensive team. Probably not strong enough on, on the defense comparatively to the central. So I'm still leaning towards central there. And then the Atlantic, uh, Kucherov, Marchand, uh, Matthews, Nelson, Okpozo, Trocek, 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 Hedman, Carlson, Weber, with Price and Rask. Great goaltenders, actually. Not quite as strong all the way through. So even though Pacific's kind of my team, you know, I would say Central and Metro have the best chance, and I'd take Central to the two of them. And Atlantic is probably next with us, you know, pulling up the, the number four. That's why I said we have a good chance. <laughs> Look, if I can't be a homer, then, you know, what's the point? So the Pacific is my team because Horvat's on it. So, yeah, I get to be a homer and I get to say that they have a good shot, even though upon analysis, their good shot is fourth. Who knows? Three on three, all sorts of stuff could happen. Anywho, there we go. That's the All-Star Weekend. We'll see how that comes about and whether or not all the fun happens or whether or not it's a silly thing that no one pays all that much attention to. So that gives us a little bit of a break. I actually have something for that break. I had a special episode recorded and I will put out that recorded episode during the All-Star break so that we have something to listen to while that is going on. Not that it's a huge break or anything, but we'll put that in there. And then either, so either just before that or just after that will be, um, will be my response to either the, the Avs game or the Arizona game. And then there'll be the special episode, or I'll do the special episode for first, and then give my response to, you know, the actual fifth episode, where we will take a look at either the Avs or the Coyotes game. I may, yeah, just looking after the break, we've got Thursday, uh, February 2nd against San Jose, and Saturday, February 4th against Minnesota. If I, for some reason, don't get a chance to see either of the two games coming up, then perhaps I'm just going to have to wait until the Thursday game against the Sharks or the Saturday game against Minnesota to be my featured game. So, we shall see how it all works out. But regardless, you will have a Canucks Corner coming up soon, even if it's a special one. So, be prepared for that. Until then, this is Aaron Lane for the Canucks Corner Podcast. If you'd like to find me, I'm at Canucks underscore corner on Twitter. That's at Canucks underscore corner on Twitter. Or email me at CanucksCornerPod at gmail.com. That's CanucksCornerPod, all one word, at gmail.com. And until we pod again, thanks for listening, and keep your stick on the ice.